Welcome to another edition of Rose City Politics, where we inform, debate, discuss, and yes, sometimes even mock municipal issues in Windsor and Essex County. Sound off during the show through our Twitter account, at RCP Windsor. Good evening and welcome to Rose City Politics. Uh, my name is Doug Sartori and I will be assuming the duties of host tonight. Um, Pat is with me in the studio, Pat Papadeus. Um, something that you may not know, Pat, is that uh, last week we started to do a, a brief sort of two-sentence bio of each, uh, each host as we come into the studio. So how would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, boy. No, I didn't know this. Um... How would I like to introduce myself? Uh, Pat Papadeus, um, resident of Ward 3 in the city of Windsor since 1987, politically engaged and looking forward to uh, a better future. Wonderful. Okay. And, uh, and uh, we have a very small panel tonight. We do. We can, like, we can really just, you know, we- just... We can take over right now. Yeah, we could have done this in a phone booth. <laughs> uh, my understanding is that Kieran McKenzie uh, will be joining us, so we will have um, a slightly larger panel. Um, Pat, mm-hmm. today I opened my mailbox, and I was really surprised to see something that I have never seen before in my mailbox, and that was a copy of The Drive magazine. <laughs> Um, I don't know when this home delivery started. It was uh-huh. really cool. And, uh, and I was even more surprised to find that there was a, um, a lengthy article and um, really glamorous <laughs> photo shoot featuring you. Well, how, how did that happen? So, uh, oh, that's so, um, so I just want to, first of all, do a shout out to uh, the photograph, which if anybody knows me um, is just a... I have to say, first of all, I look so tall in that photograph. I'm really impressed with myself about how tall I look. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Six Langman uh, for his incredible work. And and not only in in that shot, in those shots, but uh, throughout that book. But Sabina Main is the creative uh, director behind uh, The Drive. Uh, From what I understand, they have uh, a new ownership and a new uh, creative direction, so a rebranding, really, of a, of a magazine that has actually been in existence for a very, very long time. So really a refreshing um, um, way to... Um, what they've decided to do was, in addition to what the magazine does, um, is that is to profile people in the community. So I, you know, I'm really honored. Uh, I was really nervous when I got the call. I met with Sabina um, over coffee, and what a dynamo! Like what a huge energy that came from that woman. Um, and um, I got to say, uh, she just said basically, um, we want to profile you, and. Um, off we went and I met with the writer, uh, terrific Matt and, um, you know, shared a coffee for a couple of hours and I didn't really didn't know what was going to come from it. And it's interesting to see what he picked from it. I had a few people, you know, sort of message me and say, well, you didn't, that story wasn't in there. And I mean, how do you take, you know, somebody's kind of like longer life and, but, um, and even the title, um, really interesting. And, and what came out of that was really sort of the focus on, on activism, which, if I could just take another minute to like talk about Absolutely. myself for a moment yeah. on RCP, um, that I, you know, that wasn't a title that I personally used on myself. That's just sort of, you know, what's happened, I guess, or that's what the activity is and that's what it's defined at. But my background, of course, was, was advocacy, right? Um, trained as an advocate. And so 
Um, I think activism is simply part of advocacy. It's just a little bit more out there. And, um, and in discussing that, we uh, looked at, you know, in the, in the age of, in the digital age and in, with all our social media accounts, oftentimes, you know, liking something is like doing something or signing a petition is doing something. And so part of the discussion was really activism sometimes involves, you know, getting out there and, or getting on the bus, if it was it were, which I think is really the impetus of why they reached out to me. And, um, and so that's where the title came from. So, um, you know, a lot of it made sense at the end of it. I personally didn't uh, get a copy of the magazine. So a lot of people got it before I did. Um, but I uh, had a home delivery, somebody personally delivered to it. And I'm, you know, really thrilled and honored to have been part of it. So pretty exciting week, I guess. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> I, I forgot to bring my copy for you to sign. <laughs> so we'll have to, we'll have to, catch, okay, up. We'll have to right. catch up on that next week. There we go. Uh, so, um, but anyway, the drive, um, kudos to the drive yep. and, and a lot of other features in there and it's great to have um i mean there's really it's a beautiful it's a beautiful magazine and you can see the the difference in sort of our artistic sort of direction that it's taken and it's really nice to see that they are um taking a look at you know profiling people in our community if i can say that you know with some um immodesty i guess but it's um i I really wish them well uh i think more journalism in Windsor is better than less. Right. Uh, so I'm really glad to see that, that the magazine has um, has taken on, been taken on by new hands and, and is being revitalized. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kudos to you and kudos to the drive. Um, other house cleaning topics. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, we are broadcasting from the kitchen studio in Reno's kitchen. Uh, it is an awesome studio. And if you notice that our sound got a lot better a couple of months ago, it's because <laughs> we started to record from here. And the other reason that we sound really good is that, um, operating the board for us is the fabulous Lauren Hedges. Thank you very much, Lauren. Yeah, you don't have a microphone over there. No, um, we should wave. She's waving. Now, I'll just describe it. We'll have, <laughs> we'll have, to, we'll have to make sure that we, we get Lauren a mic so yeah. she can jump in with some pithy comments. So uh, the topic replace John. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's poor Don. He's on Nyquil. He's probably sleeping yeah. through this right now. That's Hi, right. Don. Feel right. better. Um, yeah, I, I think most of us stopped taking NyQuil many years ago, but mm-hmm. Don, for whatever reason, still likes it. Sticking to it. Yeah. Um, so the, t- the actual topics for tonight, we're continuing our uh, journey through the wards of Windsor. Um, tonight is uh, Ward 6. So we are going to talk about uh, election results in Ward 6, um, the prospects for uh, this year's uh, fall election in Ward 6, and um, cover some issues. And as usual, uh, Fraser Fathers of um, the blog Ginger Politics has collected some data for us, and he has been kind enough to share it with us so that we can talk to you intelligently about the demography of Ward 6. And if you don't mind, Pat, I'll just run through a little bit of that Mm -hmm. right now. So when we talk about um, wards in Windsor, Ward 1 and Ward 6 are often um, kind of lumped together. We often talk about them together. Welcome, Kieran. I'm just going to talk you in, okay? Uh, (laughs) Kieran has arrived in the studio. Hi, everyone. We already said all the bad stuff about you before you arrived. Um, So... uh, can we talk about who, who represents Ward 6? Because I know this sounds yeah. kind of crazy, but sometimes we forget, like, oh, Ward 6, which one is that? Where is that? Sure. Whose is that? So Ward 6 is, um, most people will recognize the Riverside mm-hmm. neighborhood uh, as a uh, key part of Ward 6. 
Ward 6 is represented by um, Councillor Joanne Geniak. Um, and and so uh, it's often that we talk about Ward 1 and Ward 6 together. Um, and I've said it many times on this show, it, the, these are the highest voter turnout wards in the city. Um, these are uh, the wards that are the most important in terms of electing a mayor in Windsor. Um, but I think that, that what is a consequence of that Ward 1 and 6, um, 1 and 6, 1 and 6, 1 and 6, that we talk about them as though they're uh, the same thing. There are definitely similarities. These are two uh, wards that are on the periphery of the city, one uh, in the, um, the far south, that's Ward 1, and one um, in the northeast of the city, that's Ward 6. They are both um, suburban wards, and they are both um, higher income and wealthier wards, but I think that talking about them as though they are the same really obscures um, some of the differences, so I'm really glad that Fraser shared uh, this demographic info with us, and I'm going to walk through it. So population um, in uh, Ward 6 is 22,288. Not really a surprise that they're, um, all the wards hover around the 20,000 mark, um, but its population density, density is more than 5,500 people per square kilometer, which makes it the second most dense ward after Ward 3. Um, that's somewhat surprising when you think about a suburban ward, when you think about, um, if you, I live in Ward 1, so when people talk about Ward 6, I imagine it as a mirror of the, the part of the community I live in, and that's, that's definitely very different. Um, ward 6 has 18% of its population under 19, um, which it makes it on the lower end of the scale in Windsor in terms of um, uh, population of youth and children. 23% of the population is over 65, which is the highest percentage that we've seen so far. So Ward 6 um, is an older ward, uh, much like Ward 1 in that respect. Ward 1 at 22.13%, Ward 6 at 22.92%. Um, ward 6 has uh, almost 1,400 single-parent families. 78% of them are um, led by a woman, um, which puts it... Not, not 78%. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go 78% ahead. Yes, right. of those single families are, are headed of by a woman. Ones, yes. yes. Um, so f roughly 1,400 puts it kind of in the middle of the pack mm -hmm. uh, for Windsor in terms of um, single parent families. Now, income. The median income after tax is $32,900. The average income after tax is $38,685. Um, for comparison, I'm just going to pick two other wards to compare. Um, ward 1 after-tax median, 35000 a little bit higher than Ward 6. After-tax average income in Ward 1 is f almost 44000 so significantly higher um, than Ward 6. And uh, compare that to Ward 2, which uh, has an after-tax median income under 20000 and the average income uh, 23400 The low-income rate in Ward 6 is 14%, which puts it at the... Um, extreme low end along with Ward 1. Um, less than 10% of the population is in the bottom income decile and about 7% is in the top income decile. So compare that to Ward 1 and again see those differences. Um, ward 6 has wealth but it's not as wealthy 
uh, as Ward 1. You don't have that concentration of wealth. Right. Ward 1 has uh, almost 18% of the population is in the top income compared to uh, 7%. I thought that was uh, an interesting uh, distinction between those two wards. You know, I mean, certainly not as low as, for example, Ward 2 with 1.67% of the population uh, being in the top income, but still a, a difference between one and six. Yeah, I'd really Listen, like... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, and I'll jump in here. Sorry, I was late. Um, I had a glib line for that, but I'll save it for later. We're used uh, to it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that what really is, so as much as that discrepancy or that, that difference on the top uh, income percent or decile is an interesting number to look at. And, and I think we'll note that Ward 6 comes in above the other three wards that we've looked or three of the other three of the four other three wards that we've looked at always behind ward one in terms of the top scale income number but it's just it's just actually really staggering to look back now at wards two and three mm-hmm. in particular when you look at the low income rate now and in comparison to one and six mm-hmm. something i'd really be interested um in uh in looking at and uh fraser if you're listening um this is a homework assignment it would be really interesting <laughs> we, give, yeah. we always do that <laughs> we know. i know he's listening know too. it would be really interesting to go back a few censuses and look at the difference just in the income uh, numbers between mm-hmm. wards, because it's my sense, I don't have data in front of me, but it's my sense that that disparity uh, between the higher income parts of the city and the lower income parts of the city uh, has gotten wider in the last mm-hmm. 15 to 20 years. I, to me, that is the story of Windsor. That's right an interesting now. conversation. Here's I a... also want to know whether the plural of census is censuses or sensi. Sensi. <laughs> thought I got that out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So another homework assignment for Frazier. And I, he's, I bet you he has it posted on, on Twitter before the end of the show. Yeah. Standard deviation on the income yeah. numbers, uh, particularly on the population, on the, uh, uh, on, on the top income decile. Um, just because I think it's going to be greater in Ward 6 than it is in Ward 1. Mm. There's more, there's, there's, a, I think, I think it'll be fair to say, or, or there, at least my own anecdotal observation. And, and by the way, Ward 6, I grew up on Rainbow Road. So I know that ward very, very well. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's all over the map in terms of the lifestyles that people, people who live in Ward 6, you know, it's the people along Riverside Drive and that, that swatch, that's that portion that's north of Wyandotte that cuts right through the, um, Wyandotte's almost like, a dividing line between rich and poor, quite frankly, mm. um, and then anyone. And as you move further south uh, into into the ward um, uh, south of Wyandotte, excuse me, um, it becomes increasingly uh, lower income, more working class, uh, more and more folks who are in the middle of those uh, 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 the income brackets. And it even uh, a breakdown by poll would be interesting, but I'm, I'm not going to ask for too much. I just think uh, uh, the standard deviation uh, on income uh, would um, would illustrate the point that there's broader income disparity, in my view, um, uh, in Ward 6 than there is in Ward 1. And this is one of the dangers, I think, of um, taking uh, statistical information about an entire city ward and kind of lumping it all together. It does give us something, but it also obscures a lot of things. And we really dug into this last week when we talked mm-hmm. about Ward 5, um, about how different um, different pieces of Ward yep. 5 are. And um, it's important to remember that the wards of the city are not um, generally boundaries of 
you know, the, the uh, ancestor communities. They're not generally boundaries that are drawn because of some natural border that creates, um, you know, uh, income or, or other kind of demographic differences. They're just arbitrary borders of where you can divide the city up into chunks of 20,000 roughly people. And, and mm-hmm. I think it is important to remember that, that, um, you know, we talk about even Ward 1, we talk about um, the people who live in Ward 1. Well, if you live, um, you know, sort of near Grand Maris, north of Cabana, um, versus a, a person who lives out near Ojibwe. You live in the same city ward, but you have a completely different lifestyle and completely different priorities. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the politics, uh, Kieran, you are definitely um, the person who has the, the most Ward 6 cred uh, at yeah. the table. Um, so we have a list of issues here, and I want to ask you, just in the interest of time and, and for the, to make for the best possible discussion, which of these issues do you think is the most important issue in the last few years in Ward 6? Um, it depends on whether you're asking me in a purely political context or in a, like, what is important for Ward 6. And, and I'll start with my political context. I'll, I'll answer my own question. <laughs> sure. Um, the Miracle Diamond. Okay. The Miracle Diamond is going to define um, that uh, the, the upcoming election, uh, I think, in Ward 6, uh, you'll note that the announcement for the Miracle Diamond is already scheduled. Uh, there's, there's a ceremony that's already scheduled for September. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very interesting timing, don't you, don't you think? Mm-hmm. So there'll be some sort of a groundbreaking there, right? And imagine what that moment is going to look like for the current incumbent. Um, it's a. Uh, uh, with that said, uh, she, uh, Councillor Geniak, uh, and soon-to-be candidate Geniak, has done, uh, you know, was 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 heavily involved. I think it's fair to say in that um, uh, in the Miracle Diamond process. Um, perhaps not fully on board initially, but when the when it really was rolling, I think she. It's fair to say that she she put whatever political capital or political weight behind uh, that she had behind the project and and helped push it over the, over the finish line to. Um, uh, and, and and she was duly acknowledged by many people across the community for this. Uh, so, uh, so I think that that's a um, and that issue is a by the way. And the reason I think that issue is so important, that particular property, that's the old Riverside Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that was a that that was a focal point of the ward, um, a, pl- a gathering place for a lot of people, a place where a lot of young people who grew up in that area would have, um, you know, would have played hockey or done whatever, gonna you know. Uh, the free skates. And then also behind that is you had all of those old St. Rose diamonds. So if you played Riverside baseball, that's where you played. And uh, so there's, I think that there's a strong attachment to that property for people who've lived in that, in that, uh, in that ward for a long time. And the fact that it's going to be repurposed for something that's quite frankly, incredible uh, is is on a political level going to serve her well. And is, and is an important issue to reestablish that space uh, for people who live in, in who live in Ward Six and who live in Riverside, as an important part of that neighborhood and that community, um, so that's why I think it's, it's it is as important as it is. I think um, uh, I, 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 the other big um, sort of elephant in the room for a lot of places is flooding. Mm-hmm. So infrastructure, right? Uh, Ward Six got a lot of flooding. Uh, growing up in Ward Six on Ramo Road, my basement used to flood all the time, and it was a sewer backup. Thing. you know the water the water would come up through the drain and there was 
any number of my neighbors who experienced the same thing on any and not just you know it was never to the extent that i think a lot of period people experienced recently um, but those problems of flooding in people's basements it's not it's not anything new it's 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 a it's an old problem and a problem that people who are angry um, are going to rightly have the opportunity to ask an incumbent counselor who's been you know in charge of these or not in charge but sort of voting on budgets for you know for you know several years now over a decade um and the ba their basement is still flooding it ha has been flooding for over 20 years now um so i think those are the two issues if for those who are um you know seeking to run against councillor geniac if you want an issue uh it's i mean it's an issue that's staring everybody in the face who's going to run uh uh, who's going to run in the next campaign or for those who not only people who are going to run but for the the questions that you might want to ask if you're a, uh get a get somebody knocking on your door um what are you going to do about these infrastructure issues like entirely so, basement flooding two issues one that councillor geniac is likely to run on yes and another that she's likely to run from um interesting yeah mm -hmm. so so just to go back to just for those um listeners who maybe haven't heard our previous shows on the miracle diamond um the uh, Riverside Arena was closed be to as part of the justification for the WFCU Center. It's true. Um, so there was the, the, it's it's really interesting because I think this whole um, situation is tied up in um, decisions that were made by this council um, over the years, and that that if if you were part of that core group of councilors who were part of the um, the key support for the mayor. Um, the mayors that we've had over the past uh, the past several years, um, this is part of your legacy, part of what you have to justify. So, for Councillor Geniac, to me, um, the uh, this really helps to make her whole in terms of um, her her uh, reputation and and her ability to deliver for her community. Riverside Arena was closed. We got the WFCU Center um, not in the ward, um, but. But this this spring, and, and I think it really helps um, Councillor Geniac's uh, um, the narrative that she would like to um, put forward that of uh, fiscal prudence that there was a significant private donation towards the Miracle Diamond on the old Riverside mm -hmm. Arena site. Um, it was it was supported by I think nine of the uh, ten councillors, uh, with with Councillor Holt being the exception, um, and uh, it looks like a, a political home run. Turning to the flooding. Mm -hmm. um, the flooding is the opposite of a political home run. Um, it's a serious problem. Um, and to the extent that uh, Councillor Geniac's political fate is tied to the political fate of the mayor, um, the mayor really, in a lot of ways, uh, wore the flooding. We all saw the image macros and the memes and the, um, the, the, the outrage in the community. Um, <clears throat> so to the extent that Councillor Geniac is associated with the council majority and associated with um, Mayor Dilkins, I think that you're you're quite right to say that um, she's vulnerable on floods, and that would be the that would probably be the issue uh, to to go with if you were challenging her. No question. And, and just to you know, I, I know you want to jump in, Pat, but I, I um, in turn your analysis on the on the Miracle Diamond and and the points that you make about the WFCU are well taken. Um, I think that the community, on a broad perspective, looked at the loss of that property as a public space as a another point of disappointment mm -hmm. with their with their counselor and to her credit she turned that issue around not mm -hmm. i mean i was by i don't want to i don't want to be too glib about how i would characterize it i think that she got on the train at the right time 
and because this was a grassroots initiative at the neighborhood at, at the neighborhood level and some very specific people who pushed this thing up without any political support to begin with she got in at the right time and uh uh, and, and help to push it across the finish line. And now she's turned something that was going to be a net negative into a net positive for her. There's no question about it. But, you know, as much as I say that that property is meaningful to a lot of people, it probably mostly to people who live in that, what I call the St. Rose neighborhood. Um, when, you, when you broaden it out beyond that, it, it's still going to be more about the flooding. Mm-hmm. So... Um, she's also going to run on a, on a, uh, you know, fiscal prudent, steady hand on the wheel. Uh, um, you can rely on me. I'm experienced. All of those things. I mean, let's, let's be frank about what her personal popularity is there. And I don't know if we want to get too deep into the numbers yet, but she won with about 70% of the vote. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I think she has the highest plur- uh, majority mm-hmm. uh, of yep. any counselor. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's not like that's going to be something, uh, to be, to be ignored, um, uh, another point to bring in before I, uh, I, I, I take a break for a second. There is one thing I think that people should consider that, that she may be considering. Um, her political brand did take a hit by running federally unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people were surprised by how unsuccessfully mm-hmm. she ran in that election. She ran a distant second, almost third when she announced her candidacy, her candidacy for the uh, conservatives, which is another issue in terms of now she's she's completely uh, sort of outed herself as a partisan. Um, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, you know losing by almost seven thousand votes to somebody that a lot of people in Windsor may not have been uh, aware of who they were prior to the campaign. Certainly, uh, certainly people living in Riverside may not have ever heard the name Cheryl Hardcastle mm-hmm. until the federal election. And to lose by, like I said, around 7,000 votes in that election after spending nearly $100,000 on her campaign was, I think some people thought was shocking. Not me personally, but I think a lot of people thought it was shocking. So this is a good moment to turn yeah. to Pat. And we are going to, we are switching uh, gears to, um, to talking now, I think, about the, uh, uh, election, the upcoming municipal election. And uh, let me put it to you this way, Pat, and I, I know you love it when I surprise you with mm-hmm. questions, but my question to you is, um, if, you were, if you were advising, okay, you are the campaign manager for an opponent to Joanne Geniak in 2018, what would your advice be? Hmm. You know, I, I think you have to take a realistic look at what's happening in that particular um, um, War, um, well, yeah, ward, and um, she is. You know, I don't know that you can knock off somebody that gets seventy percent off the last municipal election. I mean, that's my that's my sort of realistic look at it. And I, I get what Kieran says. And by the way, I, I pretty well agreed with everything Kieran said, which is why I didn't really inter- you know interrupt him. <laughs> so that's take that for what it's worth. All, it. all really good points. Um, you know, but at the uh, you know w- when you look at it, seventy percent is 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 a large amount. She was elected, I think, back in two thousand and three. So she's been uh, you know there. She's a staple of that community for. 15 years she's the only woman on council um and i say that uh um not necessarily because um it serves any uh, part of this particular discussion other than if you're a if you're a voter in her ward 
you probably have met her or you probably know enough about her and and you know whether whether it's real or not the steady as she goes brand has worked for her and for the most part it is what she is i think people have to ask or have to uh, so going back to your question I don't know that a new candidate, and certainly depending on the the name recognition that they have, would be able to get enough attention on the issues for them to be able to clearly articulate and and tell people why Joanne Geniak, who's got a record and where that record has failed at the municipal level. So, for example... When you take a look at the flooding, when you look at how much investments we've made in infrastructure in the community, and if somebody's able to take all the pieces together, including where dollars have flown from different levels of government, and to what extent we have looked at the issue of flooding. I mean, you know, Kieran has talked about how long flooding has been going on there. So this is not, it's not something that happened overnight, and this is not something that happens because it's a one in a hundred years flood. This community that she represents has had flooding issues forever. So how do you uh, assess a uh, a municipal councillor who represents your ward but at the same time wants to declare themselves the fiscal hawk on 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 council at some point you have failed to put a priority on fixing the very problem that your constituents are living with and um so i you know i don't think that's being too unfair to be able to say that 15 years on council and you still have flooding and and where have you uh, made gains in taking a look where does the long string what's the long-term strategy on this issue where is it so you know to have a um i think also kieran's point on the fact that there already is right now in march a date for just before the municipal election on the you know balloons and bells and whistles on what's going to happen with miracle diamond that's the cynical side of me that comes out because here's the thing and i don't begrudge miracle diamond and and that community of of what is happening with miracle diamond and yes uh good for them but here's the difference that is a grassroots campaign uh, or that's a grassroots issue that came from their community much like for example in in a loose comparison as was the Wyandotte BIA issue that uh, she also voted against just a a little while ago. Um, And so this is about a record across the city, if you will, not just about what's happening in community. And when you think about which councillors are the ones that have been talking about on city council about neighbourhoods and livability and walkability and bike lanes, which we haven't gotten to, which are, I think, an issue in that particular ward to some extent. You know, when you look at that, when we, if you were to ask sort of the average voter in Windsor, when you think of the um, uh, councillors who are advocating for better neighbourhoods and stronger neighbourhoods, I don't think it would actually be Joanne Geniak. That's not her brand. That's not where she's come from. And yet, take a look at that. If if there is a community in Windsor, if there's a ward that you can say is, in fact, you know, one of the many where we can be saying there are very distinct, uh, rich history, historical, and, um, you know, uh, uh, neighborhoods, certainly her ward is one of them. And yet... Um, when we talk about neighborhoods, some, some, how all the conversations turn to like we're talking about downtown. No, our community is unique and made up of unique wards. And she's done a pretty steady-as-she-goes job. But I think somebody can come along and basically say, okay, Riverside and, and Ward 6 and all the, you know, the representation they have. We have some issues that have been here longstanding. Um, what has this particular counselor done for us? So... I really like a lot of what you're saying there, um, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on it and, and maybe just add a few points while we to close off this topic. Um, I agree with you. I don't. Uh, not only is uh, Joanne Geniak popular 
uh, long-standing incumbent. I think that um, when you look at the 10 counselors, if you, and I'm not going to do it right now, but if you were to rank the 10 counselors in terms of their um, their intellect and capability, Joanne Geniak would be closer to the top than the bottom. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. Uh, I, so she is a, a, an intelligent and capable politician. Um, she's been there for a long time. So if you are, and, and so let's look at who the challenger was who did the best. In- I just want to interrupt you for a moment yeah, sure. before you get to the stats, okay? I'm, yep. I just, this is not to be really mean, but I mean, it's, you know, it's past, you know, it's still dark out. Uh, when you take a look at, when you take a look at, when you say take a look at compare her around the council table, yeah. that answer would have been very different in different circumstances and in different years among the fifteen years that she has been on that council. And whether not because she's new or or a veteran, mm-hmm. but because this particular council is particularly weak. And don't You're make right. me name uh, names, yeah. yep. okay? <laughs> I, so I you can look like a superstar when you have that many years experience, and you should. And you should. And in sure. fact, you should be mentoring and you should be steering the entire leadership of this particular one in addition to the mayor um, in a way that she has not. And it's really interesting that you said that, you know, the mayor has worn the floods. I don't know why the mayor wore the floods because she was right along on there, or along there with those lights. And the only reason the mayor wore the floods is it happened to be the timing and all yeah. of that. But really, let's take a look at, how, you know, anything that the mayor wears for the most part. She should wear too. Well, and I think it's interesting that you say that because not only does she benefit from uh, being part of a relatively weak council, um, but she also benefits from having uh, being more politically adept than the mayor that she works with. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, mayor Dilkins is um, has been a lightning rod for opposition. Um, his his manner and his approach has uh, invited. Um, and, and attracted the anger of the populace. You know, you're right. Um, many of the councillors, uh, especially those who have been there a long time, could wear the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Mayor Dilkins can be such an irritant in the way that he presents himself to the public, uh, I think that Councillor Geniak has skated on that a little bit. I know you're going to go on to the next topic, but I do want to actually answer the question that you asked me. And I would say that a somebody who is looking to run against Joanne Geniak, assuming, and I think we do assume that she's going to run again, this is like realistically... Um, and, and and if if you were to ask me, you know, of all the of the councillors who I think, you know, sit there now, which one should go, she would certainly not be on the top of my list. She's a capable person. I think that um, I think she has aligned herself and in votes in a block that is very unfortunate. In fact, I, I would say um, she, she's certainly not incapable at all. I think she's more of a disappointment for different reasons, frankly, on, on what position she's taken on issues and who she's aligned herself with instead of actually being a very independent thinker, which she should should have and could have been all those years. Having said that, I think somebody who chooses to run against her should be running for the long term because the fact of the matter is, um, you know, um, there's, you know, the best before date on all uh, on all council positions. So, yeah. So uh, and I, I agree completely. That's that would be um, if I were advising uh, an opponent to Councillor Geniak, I would say don't bother unless you're planning to run in 22 as well. Um, if you don't have at least a two-election strategy for um, for getting that seat, you probably are not making the right choices, um, which I think is interesting because um, I would be looking for youth and I would be looking to um, anticipate the demographic shift that will be happening in Ward 6 over the next four to eight years. 
um, which I think uh, uh, brings me to the person who came in second place uh, in um, 2014, Alex Denonville, um, uh, who secured uh, over 1,300 votes, 17% of the vote, um, which is a small number when you compare it to Councillor Geniac's um, total, but I would suggest that that's a base to build on, and Mr. Denonville is, uh, is a younger man. Um, and may have the stamina to run uh, a couple more times and, and uh, um, to secure that seat. Let's not forget that many of our um, long-standing councillors, and including the current mayor, um, ran unsuccessfully many times. Um, in the case of Mayor Dilkins, he ran for the Enwin board, he ran for council, and, and uh, um, sometimes it takes a few kicks at the can to get there. Usually it does. Yeah. Um, Alex, uh, very sharp person uh politically i think you could um you could easily uh figure out or glean from anything that he would have said publicly um is a you know in some respects a, a good foil or an antithesis in some, in many respects to joanne geniac um uh, I'm, I'm not sh i don't want to you know scoop whatever he might be doing but um uh, there's some you know, uh, I, I'm not sure that he's running again is, is basically mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Uh, I, I think, though, um, if he were to run again, he would provide people in Ward 6 with a clear choice. Um, and I think he would be running on some of the issues that I, that I think would be um, he's already teed them up for looking at some of the stuff he was talking about in his last campaign about investment in neighborhoods, um, active transportation. Uh, he works, uh, or he has worked, I don't know if he still does, uh, for IRCA. So he's got a, obviously a, uh, uh, a strong sort of environmental predisposition to what he, uh, um, uh, to the way he approaches public policy. So I think he, uh, he would, uh, if he were to run again, uh, he, you know, it, it may not be the, this election may not be the time either, but, uh, he, he would be in a, in well positioned, I think, um, for when that seat became an open seat. Okay, we went way over time on this segment, yeah, but I, I think it was uh, well worth it. It was a really good discussion. Who um, would have thunk it on Ward Six? No, we're going to. Oh, rats. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to go to break now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about oh, Ward uh, Six. We're going to do a little bit of a 2014 recap, and the lens we're going to look at it through is um, the lessons of 2014 for folks who might be running this year. Hmm. Welcome to this week's Rose City Politics Events Calendar. Thursday, March 22nd, Birth of a Family, Wide Awake, a film screening at the University of Windsor School of Visual Arts. Beer Latin Party for Brew Project 2018 is at Brew. Friday, March 23rd, Pat Robitaille is at Fog Lounge. Windsor Symphony Orchestra Neighborhood Concert Series is at Essex United Church. Windsor Express, take on the KW Titans. University of Windsor School of Creative Arts presents an artist talk with Suzanne Blight. Sixteen Scandals, Sedge, the Trudies, and the Waterheads are at the Beer Exchange. Saturday, March 24th, Easter Craft and Bake Sale is at Brentwood Recovery Home. Art Plus Feminism, Wikipedia Edathon is at Hackforge. TEDx Windsor is at the Fogelar Furland. Sunday, March 25th, 9th Annual March the Non Rouge in Detroit. The next regular city council meeting is Monday, March 26th. 
Check out Rosé Politics on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to our premium content on Patreon. If you'd like your event featured here, please contact us through social media. City politics. Just a quick recap of who's around the table. We have a relatively small panel tonight. My name is Doug Saratori, uh, and I am uh, in the host chair this evening. Uh, also with us is Kieran McKenzie uh, and Pat Papadeus. So uh, the the topic for this Pat Papadeus of Windsor Drive fame. Yes, uh, that we, is. We correct. already talked about <laughs> oh, it. We you missed it. it. Okay. We sure did. Yes, yeah. this is why we went long yeah. on the first right. segment. Right. Oh yeah. yes. Did you get a copy but of the drive? You. No, I do. I'll, I do I'll, have I'll it. Autograph I it for yeah. you. Yeah. I'm okay. okay. I, I, I should have brought it with me. That's a nice I spread. I yeah. forgot to bring mine. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. So the the topic of discussion for this half of the show this is the lessons of 2014 for 2018, and I think this is really going to be interesting and we're going to have to be disciplined because we don't have a lot of time and there's a ton of ground we can cover um and we're not disciplined we are Mm. definitely not so that's why we do a podcast Uh, i'm going to aim for concision (laughs) all right go so uh so let's start by talking about the mayor's race so um at a high level we had uh a a mayor's race in which um the the current mayor uh who was a new challenger we had no incumbent mayor uh, in 2014, Drew Dilkins um, was the winner, 55% of the vote, 32,000 and change. Um, coming in second was John Milson, uh, under 16,000 votes, 27.19%, not even close. Uh, and in third place was Larry Horwitz, uh, 12.5%, 7293 was his vote total. And if you add Milson and Horwitz together, um, you land around 24,000 votes, which is still way, way off of um, Mayor Dilkins' total. You do. Um, you know, I really felt like the election in 2014, it felt, it felt a whole lot like 2010 to me in some respects, in, in, especially the mayor's race, in that there was nobody that wanted to do it. And if you remember, uh, or to run against Mayor Francis at the time, uh, and if you remember, Rick Limoges came into the election quite late. Very late. Ran a, you know, now ran hard, you know, to give him, uh, to give him credit. Uh, he ran uh, as hard as he could. He was very, uh, they had a, um, a pretty significant media presence. I remember almost daily press conferences happening, um, you know, and, and that campaign got off the ground. Um, I think fairly well, even though it was late coming in. And, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the comparison between Limoges and Milson, but I'd be willing to bet that it's not far off, uh, at least in terms of the gap between first and second place. I think that the raw vote total, there might be some. Anyway, the point the point being, it was reminiscent to me in, in that respect. And it was also um, 
reminiscent in uh, in terms of Limoges was sort of the candidate that the labor community sort of pushed out there <laughs> um, as a this is our you know this is this is who we who we could find and uh, you know with due respect to to uh, uh, you know former Mayor Milson Mr Milson he was a public uh, you know served the community uh, as an elected official prior as as our mayor. Um, it, it was, it felt very much the same way. He was a labor supported candidate. Um, and he had a lot of resources, uh, that were pushed, uh, at least human resources that were pushed into his campaign. Um, and it, you know, I don't want to use the, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't want to be too over the top and, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing, a Shakespearean line there, but he got, it was a lot of, a lot, a lot of people were doing a lot of things and he got crushed just in the same way that Limoges did. So it just I'm not sure where you're going with this because um, like I, I'm not actually not sure what what you mean by that because I have a couple of places in there where I just wanted to jump in and, and say sure. a few comments and I'm not sure that this is where our our, our segment was going to go. In fact, I'm going to maybe say let's park this comment and have actually a show or uh, at least half a show on this particular topic, which is really uh, Labor's involvement with our uh, municipal elections and in the broader sense, all our elections. Um, because that's not the way I recall uh, certainly the Limoges campaign, and and I, I recall that one. You know, I've got a terrible memory, but I recall that one quite well. Because um, you use the the term sort of you know labor pushed. You know, this is the the, the candidate that we push out there. But in fact, I think that that's actually how the um, the incumbent campaign, being that of then and then elected um, uh, mayoral candidate Eddie Francis actually portrayed the Limoges campaign rather than what it in fact was. I mean, I'm just going to put it down pretty bluntly this way. Um, Labor was not going to align itself with the incumbent Eddie Francis. And so when Limoges, and and as you mentioned, Kieran, I think kind of late in in, in sort of campaign mode, uh, coming out and announcing, Labor automatically went to Limoges. It wasn't like Labor found Limoges. I think there were some discussions, and I think that he was going, you know, ready to announce, and there were other people that were bringing forward. Because when you remember uh, Limoges, as a city councilor, for anybody that remembers back then, Rick Limoges was, in fact, um, you know, we just talked about Joanne Geniak. I mean, he was your fiscally sort of very prudent, you know, um, uh, careful with the money uh, uh, councilor on on council. And to go from that to be painted as really the Labour's candidate was actually shocking to anybody that actually sort of knew Rick Limoges. And so there's there's a lot to be said about Labour's involvement and exactly who they do any favors to when they decide that that's going to be their candidate, whether the candidate, you know, however they've they've managed that relationship. It's something to think about. And, you know, I say this yep. sympathetically to the to the labor movement um, and to, to labor in our community. I just think sometimes they for, you know, they they really mix up their own ego sometimes with what apparently their goal or purported goal seems to be. So I was living in Kingsville in 2010. Um, but uh, if I remember correctly, the um, the strike mm-hmm. that happened was uh, a major, had a major impact Huge. on the municipal election. Um, so do you think that being the candidate of labor or the perceived candidate of labor was something that would help a mayoral candidate in 2010? It certainly wasn't. And uh, I, so... I agree with a lot of what you said there, Pat, and, and maybe just to perhaps clarify, um, 
I'm not sure that it's fair to say, and if I gave the impression that Labour went out and recruited okay. Luke Limoges, okay. I'm not suggesting that. But And if you remember, there was a lot of names that were being floated mm-hmm. out there. Rick Laporte, as a exactly. for example. Ex- uh, they were who talk- would have been the Labour candidate, they, more so. They almost, it was interesting because it was almost like it was dangled out there. It's like, if somebody else doesn't step up, we're going to run Rick Laporte. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you better find somebody. And um, that's when, and it's a, if I remember correctly, Limoges got into the race in, in around August. It's really late, as, as we both acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it was, A, to fill that gap. And, and Labour, I'm not, again, not saying that they sort of drafted him or recruited him. But they once, went over, yeah. Once they had the anti-Francis candidate locked in, they were there, and they were in that campaign. Now, on mm-hmm. the Milson side of things, because I think we're trying to talk more about the 2014 election, mm-hmm. I think that labor was more proactive in that recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I think that was actually, in some respects, made fairly obvious. There was no bones about it. And I don't think it was the same politics that we were dealing with in terms of, um, you know, just coming out of a city public worker strike and a lot of anti-labor animus, um, uh, you know, sort of existing uh, and, and permeating in, into the political discourse of the campaign. 2014, it was a little bit different. Um, uh, there wasn't the same sort of, if you're the labor person, I'm just doing the, I'm, I'm voting for whoever's running against you. Um, so, um, I don't think that it, with that, with that said, in certain areas, the, you know, the labor endorsement is certainly a, uh, uh, you know, less of an advantage or even a, di- a clear disadvantage. For sure. In fact, I, you know, I know we're going to go on to something else, but mm-hmm. since we did talk about this and, and I know we're going to move on, but actually I'm just going to say, let's let's have a show on this. Yeah. I think, you know, we've done the data here for, for ward by ward and we're going to look at some things. We're going to look at the mayorals. But in fact, why don't we go back either last election or a couple elections and say who have been um, at municipal level, even school board trustee, frankly, let's go to all the levels and say who has been endorsed by labor and what success does labor have with that endorsement? I think that would be a yeah. fascinating uh, I, I, sort of a prelude. I may take that data challenge on because okay. that's a really interesting one. All um, right. So, so uh, let's talk about just, just to dig a little bit deeper into that um, and tie it back to what we talked about in the first part of the show. Ward six and Ward one are, are, um, if you if Windsor was a game of risk, Ward Six and Ward One would be Australia. Okay, you absolutely have an advantage if you secure that territory. Do do you think that either Ward One or Ward Six are labor friendly wards? Ward but, Six more than one. Yeah. Um, but but no. Uh, and, and you can look at the you know the historic. Uh, you, well, you can look at any number of voting. Uh, elections that'll bear that out um conservatives tend to do well in in provincial and uh federal elections in what is you know in the boundaries within the boundaries of ward one they just do and uh, you know so it's taking that so what what does that mean kieran conservatives do well well typically conservative voters also um uh, in terms of the issue matrix if you look at you know uh, there's there's a sort of uh, you'll find a higher degree of anti-labor sentiments among people who are more strongly predisposed to voting conservative mm-hmm. uh so uh so, so in ward one um yeah it's not it's not an advantage at all it's a disadvantage there's no question about it ward six it's it's it's, it's a little bit different i talked about it the in the uh uh our, our first segment of our show about that that Wyandotte street yeah. divide and 
it's it, it it's helpful in fact because those if you're are, south of Wyandotte. those artificial divisions um yeah. don't exist for the mayor's race the mayor's race is citywide yeah um i've often wondered how different our politics would be if um you had to you won the mayor's chair by winning more wards mm-hmm. than your opponent but that's not how it's structured it's structured based on pure popular vote yeah. um so you don't have to you know you should you should perhaps as a campaign um, not think about the uh, uh, the city in terms of wards, but perhaps think about the city in terms of neighborhoods. Hundred percent. One in six. Uh, you know, you have to think of the wards in terms of um, how your mayoral campaign may be interacting with council races, and and uh, whether you're on side with the popular and or incumbent councillor. But um, I don't think that it's wise to necessarily break a mayoral campaign down and look at it uh, ward by ward uh, versus neighborhood by neighborhood or poll by poll. I would totally go poll by poll and if i was trying to identify votes i would you know it literally not only even even narrower almost street by street mm-hmm. um you can find those votes you can find labor votes or you can not even labor votes you can find a progressive candidate or somebody who is going to in the next election present themselves on a mayoral level as an alternative to dilkins as somebody who's different than dilkins who has different politics you can go into ward one and find those votes you got to know where to look for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. um uh, but they're there you can go into Ward 6, and you can find those votes. They're probably easier to find, um, but they're they're also there. And so that's why I think just to, to put a yeah. bow around this, whoever does run against uh, our current mayor, they're going to need somebody who understands this city from an electoral standpoint, literally address to address. And that's that really is the key to victory. In my okay. Opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. So now let's take that, um, all that thought, and um, do what we said we would do at the top of this segment, which is what are the lessons for 2018 hmm. from um, from 2014 and, and indeed from 2010? I, so if I'm going to answer yeah. my own yeah. question, yeah. so the first thing I'll say is um, I don't. I don't think it's a good idea to try to drag a reluctant candidate into the race. Oh, obviously. <laughs> you know, yeah, 100%. Um, that, that's not worked well. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is glaringly obvious to me from looking at the 2014 results uh, is that um, having, uh, having multiple, at least you know, strong over 10%, if you've got more than, more than one candidate who's going to pull over 10%, your, your, your challenger is probably dead. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter who you are, if if there's someone else in the race who's going to pull ten percent or more of the vote, I just don't know if there's a path to victory for in someone terms of challenging. Vote splitting, yeah. And, and we see this. And you know what's interesting? I just want to point out, and thanks to Sarah Morris, who's not uh, on the show tonight, or uh, but uh, she did some some she pulled up some some research for us, as she always does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a couple points that I now see turning to this page. That first of all, we uh, declared that. Um, uh, Joanne Genia, because we were talking about Ward 6, probably, you know, was, you know, the highest, uh, got the highest amount of votes. And of course, it was a pretty stunning 69%. But I see here, because we're looking at all election results that she pulled for us, and actually, Bill Mara, 77.34%. That's like 
Wow. So um, we'll get to sure. we'll get to his his, uh, but that's pretty huge. But th- I guess the point I'm raising is because it's just juxtaposed to Paul Borelli, which goes to your point, uh, mm-hmm. Doug. I think with uh, uh, 28 and a half percent um, uh, of of the vote uh, narrowly wins, and I think we can go back to you know appreciating why, and that was because of the large number, and of course um, of the particular issues that were going on in that particular ward. Although the incumbent ran, uh, the incumbent being Al, Al Magni at that point, uh, mm-hmm. I think you see that sort of thing where a lot of people run where you may not have people running. So I think it's kind of a hard question to, to actually answer unless you know, is the incumbent running? Who is the incumbent? Is there a mayor's race? I think that all those things yeah. impact, you know, lessons learned. That's a great question for 2018. Will there even be a mayor's race? Yeah. That, that 20 or sorry, that Ward 10 analysis is going to be a fun show for one we save the best for last and um but but to that and Mm -hmm. and, i mean the the incumbent had some very serious issues in war 10 so that Mm -hmm. obviously skewed or and very dramatically impacted the way that that election went uh and the outcome of that election uh so i think that the you're right to suggest or to point out that you know the incumbent or is the incumbent running what are the politics around the incumbent mm-hmm. uh, and and all of those factors do matter I wanted to go back to the um you know the point that you raised if the, if somebody runs with more than 10% of the vote there's absolutely no chance a third candidate runs with more than 10% of the mayoral mayoral race there would be absolutely no chance i want to dig in on that a little bit so just for historical reference uh, larry horowitz had 12% of the vote yep you already pointed out that if even if you added horowitz and milson's vote and everybody uh, else and everybody yeah, yeah so dilkins won with over 50% of the vote yep. so um, with that said i think that the to, and to build on your point your other point Doug, not only does the person not have to be dragged into the race, whoever, if they have, want to have any opportunity to be successful and win the, win the election, at the, they need to already be planning. Like, it, it's not that they have to be dragged into it. They need to have already decided that they're going to run. Yep. And the pieces already start, need to have been put into place, at least some of them. Uh, in terms of how they're, you know, what the campaign is going to look like, what the platform's going to look like, the financing of the campaign. In fact, uh, you know, the, you should you should already have locked up more than half of the money that you're going to need in order to be successful, and it's north of a hundred thousand dollars. So um, it's uh, uh, you you got to be to to be able to knock off this particular incumbent uh, who's been elected and reelected several times as a councillor is sort of a continuation candidate of a legacy that we've seen in, in this community. It's going to take a very strong and concerted effort by a number of different stakeholders who are all committed and who already are committed to, um, uh, to changing who's going to be running the council meetings in the next, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the next mandate. Well, I have some things. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, where exactly the insight uh, is heading in that particular conversation. But I I listened with fascination. Um, I think that uh, for sure you do not want to see several strong uh, candidates coming in to run against a particular incumbent. We know we love our incumbents. um, And so I don't think you can see people who are going to split the vote three ways uh, expect that there's going to be um, any one of the other two running that are going to win. That's just sort of the way things fall because of the strength of the incumbent. Having said that, I don't know, um, you know, as far as starting early, I think you have to make up your mind and I think you have to start building a team. And I agree 
agree that you have to start raising money and have have a sense of where that goes. Um, but you know, the difference I think between now this one and some other ones is is th- just the whole landscape of politics. We also have a provincial campaign, and I think people are focused on a provincial election. And in fact, you know how people feel there's voter exhaustion, and so um, I think that you have to be in in the background as as a possible mayoral candidate thinking and building a you know the the campaign and what you're going to be running on and why are you different why should we vote for you these are really real real questions people need to ask um but i think what you you know what what strikes me the most of what you said kieran was about the the legacy candidate and in fact if 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 a candidate were to come to oppose you know mayor dilkins in the next election i think that that candidate could in fact um, and should, in fact, talk about that. You know, Dilkins is not his own sort of, it's one term. Dilkins is a continuation of something, mm-hmm. something that, you know, had a plan. In fact, I'm going to go back to the very first sort of campaign of, of the, you know, of his predecessor, which is he had a plan, he had a plan. Well, we've seen the plan. Do we like the plan? Because really, um, and do we like the execution of the plan? Because this is this is what this is. And, you know, whether we talk about provincially and, you know, that, that curve of how exhausted and, you know, how we may be as voters of a particular uh, brand even or of a particular government or administration, that's, you know, that's all natural part to be talking about. We can, you know, do our best as partisans to, you know, sort of knock that down about nonsense. But in fact, there's a certain fatigue that happens. Um, if as long as we think that uh, Drew Dilkins is his new unique thing, um, then then perhaps you know he deserves another shot. If we see it as a continuation of um, something that we need to take a good long hard look at it in our community, whether those those issues that he represents are in fact the vision of this community, I think that would be a, a better sort of a, approach or a more possible way to look at that. There sh- not only maybe but should be a contender in this in this election. And I ha- I just want to sort of say when I look at all these election results regardless of how people, you know, some some people ended up with like point whatever 1-2% and things, but I have to say that I'm glad Limoges ran. I'm glad, you know, Larry Horwitz ran. I think there should always be options for voters uh, regardless and uh, we should not be afraid to um, walk away whether it's because somebody got 60% in 70% in ward 6 and people should always choose to put their platform forward and and put their name on the ballot and hopefully next week or at some point we'll also talk about the fact that we need more women doing that yeah i did want to make sure we didn't leave the show uh without mentioning that that um in 2014 we had nine women run across the city in all the how many uh well it was 16 percent. so do the math i'm not going to um and only one of them won um that's not in that's obviously at the uh that's we're talking about races for councillor and mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I'm looking at the list here. There were no women who ran for mayor in 2014. One, two, three, um, and I would really like to see that change uh, in the future. Twelve candidates. Yeah. Um, now, so so the last thing I want to touch on of those 12 candidates. So after, um, after Larry Horwitz, the drop-off is pretty steep. Um, mm-hmm. Ernie the Bacon Man. Uh, came in fourth with 640 votes. And for those listening in the first time joining us in the Windsor region, that was the name officially? Yes. Ernie the Bacon Man. Ernie the Bacon Man, yeah. That 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 was was on the ballot. (laughs) For real. Um, So he's he's really... free advertising. He's worked for a long time um, to capture the brand of fringe candidate in Windsor. And I think, like, if you're... 
if you are uh, planning to run for mayor and you don't have a plan and you don't have people behind you, look at you're, you're not going to beat the bacon man. You're going to lose Stay to the bacon right. man. Yeah. Um, if you look at that list, the list below the bacon man, mm-hmm. and we're just going to not mention any names specifically. No, we're not. But if you look at that list, um, there are some folks who probably thought they were going to do pretty well. You think? Um, well, yes, I, I am going to mention one name, and okay. it's, it's not. And it's not. It, it's there's no disrespect intended. And I, I wish I would have. Now I'm thinking, but I wish I would have looked at how much he spent on his campaign. It's Robert Robin Easterbrook. Yeah, and it, it, it again. It's there's no disrespect that's intended here. But let's be let's be clear about what Robin Easterbrook entered this race as a serious candidate. Yep, he was taken seriously yep. by the media, by folks in the community. Uh, he, I forget what it, I think he works in the healthcare sector was, uh, um, but, uh, he, uh, uh, so he was a respected person or, mm-hmm. and is a respected mm-hmm. person in the community. And yep. yet, uh, and, and there was some money into that campaign. There was, there was, a, you know, you, you saw the signs and there yep. was some, billboards. Uh, some billboards and literature and all of those things. So, um, it's not like he didn't put, uh, put a sincere effort into it. The honest truth is, is I think what, you know, as much as you want to talk about, Ernie the Bacon Man consolidating the um, the fringe vote. I, I, I'd even go one. I'd, I'd go up that list and look at Larry Horowitz's campaign, who really consolidated. I, I think consolidated a lot of those voters who felt like they weren't represented by anything that was happening at the mm-hmm. top level of the city. And if Milson was the labor guy, and Dilkins was um, uh, the um, you know sort of the continuation candidate, and maybe somebody who was more aligned with people who are more conservative minded. Uh, so if, if he captured that constituency, Larry Horowitz's campaign was, was um, I think, you know, one of the characteristics of it was very populist. He ran very much on his own sort of charm and personality, mm-hmm. and he's got some of that. I think the whole like Larry thing, and I think people were, mm-hmm. were, were into it. He certainly invested heavily in the campaign. I think the campaign report was north of $100,000 with a very limited amount of donors. He put in a lot of his own money. Um, but, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying here is, is Larry captured a lot of those, you know, the, the 7,293 votes good enough for 12.5%. Um, uh, there's your, there's your sort of, I don't want to call it fringe cause it's not fringe, but the voters who didn't have people who were going to vote, who didn't feel like either of the, those two candidates represented anything. We're, they we're were. unrepresented. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and we're way over time, but I really, I want to just, so we've mentioned Mr. Easterbrook's name and uh, I agree with you. And I think that there's, so there's a couple things that I have no insight into his campaign. Um, but I, I will say that I think um, a mistake that you make, a mistake that people entering politics for the first time often make um, is overestimating uh, their own name recognition, their own right. standing in the community and and, and underestimating or not understanding um, how difficult a thing it is to introduce yourself to the community in the context of I'm running. Absolutely. I think that's a huge point that you raise, and I would go so far as those are two factors. One is the name recognition, and, and, and in some ways it's connected that having not already been an elected official, let's face it, I mean, I think we could maybe do the um, work uh, to what even Rick Limoges was a prior city councilor. Yep. Milson was a prior former mayor. I mean, yep. uh, you prior know. MP too, by the way. Exactly. It's, yeah. uh, it's been more so, than 50 so years since if you a mayor was elected who hadn't been on council. So mm-hmm. these are significant um, challenges that you can't underestimate when you, when you haven't already been elected and coupled with whatever sense of name recognition you think you may or may not have. I think those are, are really which which goes to show really it goes 
which with what you said, you know, what does Larry Horowitz's, uh, um, although certainly name, he has some name recognition, there's no question. Um, but, uh, you know, Denonville, we talked about him earlier, and I'm just going to say, to what extent were those his votes that he earned knocking on doors? And I say this respectfully, mm-hmm. uh, because realistically, he did not have uh, name recognition, and sometimes they're just anti-votes. How many are, you know what, I'm just not voting for that councillor, and where else can I now park that vote? Um, so there's a lot of things that you look at as to what it is, but you can't hope that people are going to vote against um, in order to win an election. And um, I think, you know, again, Easterbrook, uh, you know, to say his name even today, if you ask people who are some of the people that ran for mayor, I would say that even now that that would not come up um, as in name recognition if you asked how you connect that name. So you went through an entire, you know, someone who went through an entire election. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, relatively seriously, who couldn't do that. That's a, that's a, yep. it's the nature of it's, politics, it's the harder nature than, of elections. It's harder than it seems, folks. Yeah, I, 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 just one last point mm-hmm. here. I still want, I know we're over time, but there's something, there's, um, in terms of the non-incumbent and running, you know, run, there's two challenges that you have as somebody who's not, who, who doesn't have that name recognition as an elected official. The, uh, you have to, at first, you're almost running against all of the other people other than the incumbent. You have to become the de facto option. Otherwise, those votes are get separated, mm-hmm. get split amongst everybody else, yep. right? So you need to figure out a way to make it very apparent to the electorate. And here's a little tip for those uh, that you're the only person that you could vote. You're the best. If you don't, if you need to unseat your counselor, you have to That's consolidate around somebody. Yep. And uh, um, Alex... Um, at, to, to at least some extent, getting 20-some-odd percent of the vote uh, and going back to Ward 6, um, I think he was, you know, he, he was running against Dupie, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Dupie, and, um, um, oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, Holmes. Yeah, John Holmes, John who, Holmes, yeah. John you know, Holmes, yeah. people who are on social media would be very aware of John, mm-hmm. who John Holmes is. Sure. Um, you know, and John, I think, had, had at least a tiny bit of profile in the neighborhood. Alex separated himself from the field. Um, he was, wasn't enough to I push, with you to push. Yeah. And, and there's, yeah. there's something, and That's then fair. once you get to that point, then you, then you sort of now present it. Now you're up against the, the incumbent and that creates another dynamic in the election. So there's two challenges there and, uh, there's various ways that people can accomplish that. I just want to add that point yep. to that. Okay. This wow, was, we can uh, just keep going. Uh, we could, and, and I think we took notes about what we can do for future shows. Though. Yeah. I think there's some interesting things. There's more, there's more to dig into and, um, and, and lessons to learn, I guess, because that was really sort of supposed to be the point of yep. the second half. Right. We sort of, you know, danced around it, but uh, we should just, like, get more focused. I think there were some. <laughs> we, <should've, laughs> we could always get more focused. I think and disciplined def- or something. Yeah. The, there were it was def- good. There were definitely some uh, lessons in there if, yeah. you were, if you were paying attention. Okay. And yeah. uh, um, I also, I love my RCP with lots of subtext, and I think there was lots of yeah, subtext in this I think there was. In this, I think there was. I'm going to have to go uh, <laughs> Unpack that. Reflect on that now. So, well, this is what I'm going to suggest, you guys, everybody Uh listening. um, Put a put a note in your calendar for December 2018 to come back and listen to this show. There you go. And and, uh, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be some stuff you can pull out of it. Uh, I want to I want to thank Lauren Hedges uh, for thank um, you, Lauren. Yeah, for at least guaranteeing that we have one one listener. Uh, working the uh, working on the board and, and making us sound good. Uh, I want to thank my uh, colleagues on the panel tonight, Kieran McKenzie, Pat Papadeus. Um, thanks so much. I'm Doug Sartori. And thanks for hosting, Doug. Hey, anytime. Right. And, uh, that's Rose City Politics. See you guys next week.
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Rose Politics. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Just search for Rose Politics on Twitter at RCP Windsor or visit us at rosepolitics.ca. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber to help support production costs. You'll find the link on the homepage of Rose Politics. Until next week.